Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Music. This is Tosh. And I'm Kim Lee. And what we do in each episode, in case our listeners have not listened to us so far, which seems kind of hard to believe, <laughs> we focus in each episode usually one book about a book about music or a book about a musician or a musician's memoir and sometimes fictional works that deals with a character that's a musician or a composer or so or so forth or something about the music business or music world. Today we're going to focus on a book by Barry Alfonso called A Voice of the Warm, The Life of Rod McEwen. And I have heard about Rod McEwen throughout my whole life. Yeah. And usually he did it when I was a child or a teenager. He was on TV a lot. He was like a guest in a lot of music shows, in my memory. Yeah, I vaguely remember him as well. And, uh, you know, you usually get excited, like watching the circus, act, like a variety show yeah. or music. And then when Rod McKeown goes on, comes on, I usually leave for like It's time dinner. to get a snack, <laughs> go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate Rod McKeown. And that. As a teenager and as young, you know, like a child, like 11 or 12 years old and liking music. Yeah. He was just not my thing. Not cool at all. No. And th- you know who was cool for me as a 12-year-old? Huh. Jimi Hendrix. Experience. Wow. Jimi Hendrix is cool for anybody. <laughs> so Jimi Hendrix was like a huge thing for me during the height of Rod McKeown. Yeah, that's tough to compete against. <laughs> and I have a very strong memory. Uh-huh. I was very excited to get the second Jimi Hendrix Experience album called Axis Bold as Love. Uh-huh. You know the album? Yeah, of course. Great classic record. Of course. And I bought it at my local record store. Very excited. Uh-huh. Very excited to hear this. Uh-huh. I haven't heard a note. Uh-huh. So I took it home. Uh-huh. I opened the record. And I put it on the turntable. Oh, God. I said, I'm thinking... And I thought, you know, I thought, you know, before I put it on, I thought, Hendrix going to do something new. It's not going to be like Foxy Lady right. or, or the song or you experience. It's going to be something, a new Jimmy. I just feel it's going to be a new Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. So I put it on. <laughs> I, I put the needle on the vinyl. I sit back waiting for the guitar <laughs> feedback, <laughs> sexiness, uh-huh. wild imagery of Jimi Hendrix experience, burning his guitar or something. And then the first thing is, 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 is a huge orchestration. <laughs> and I went, oh my God, this is really different, Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. Where is he going? This huge, like this sort of romantic orchestration with, with like the sea sounds. <laughs> and I went, oh my God. Was like, it's blowing oh. your mind. My mind was blown. <laughs> and, and, then, and then a voice comes on. Oh no. And I went, this is not Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> I could see this one coming. Oh my God. It was a Rod McEwen album. Oh, uh, not wow. Rod McEwen album, but a record he did called The Sea. And it was actually, I'm looking for the notes here. What was the, um, the something strings, something, oh, uh, the, the, San, the, the San Sebastian strings. Oh, God. It was not even officially a Rod McEwen record. Uh, he, wrote all, he wrote all the words. Uh-huh. It's him reciting. Uh-huh. But like this orchestration about the sea. And right. Stuff like, you know, I'm on the beach and I'm looking at the ocean. Right. And, it's like one of the first New Age albums, really. <laughs> and and I couldn't, I said, I, well, it was such a weird moment. Yeah. Expecting Hendrix. Yeah. And, you know, they shared a label of sorts. Like Hendrix was on reprise. Uh-huh. This, for, this is American releases for anybody listening yeah. in Europe right uh-huh. now. So, and I think... Uh, Rod and uh, the strings 
were on, I think, Warner Brothers, which basically was the same label at the yeah. time. So obviously they put the wrong record in the wrong sleeve. <laughs> and I remember taking it back like that afternoon. Yeah. You don't want to wait for not course, yeah. this atrocious mistake. Did you listen to the whole album or did you just I like... Think I, heard, I, think I, I think I heard the whole track, the first track. The first the track, and then you were like, I'm back to the record store. <laughs> and I can't remember... If the label says Jimi Hendrix or not, you huh. know, like it could have, it may have. You probably said, should have saved it. It was probably yeah, a collectible now. It is. I actually <laughs> tried to look it up on Discogs, uh-huh. and, and nothing's listed. Uh. But, but I can't remember if Jimi Hendrix was on the label or it was Rob McCune. Right. But I bet somebody who's not in tune to Rob McCune, I recognize his voice right away. Yeah. As a kid, you know, as a yeah. twelve or thirteen, I knew his Rob McCune record. Yeah, he has a very distinctive voice. And <laughs> very much so. So. Oh God. So that was my. Sort of my first time I ever had or listened to a Rod McEwen record wow. at home. Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. That's so funny. So, yeah. you know, this book came upon me. Um, I'm not interviewed. In, uh, the, I'm listed, actually, in this book. As, I know. Uh, as I saw it as I finished reading it. I didn't know. And um, I never met Barry, uh-huh. the author, Barry uh, Aponzo. But uh, at least I don't think I met him. But it, nevertheless, we did talk about Rod McKeown, and I told him I couldn't stand him. I uh-huh. remember that. <laughs> and I t- and basically, I think I just gave some cultural reasons why I didn't like him. Yeah. And, you know, he listened to me, and, um, you know, I think he t- took it all in. Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, when he told me he was writing a book on, on Rod McKeown, I was very excited about it. Yeah. Because I thought, this is an interesting subject matter, because... You know, my experience with Ron McEwen, which is basically what's expressed in the book, and uh-huh. he, he's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, in the, in the late 50s, or mid-50s, late 50s, he was like a, a B-movie actor. Good-looking guy. Yeah. Kind of like the, sort of like the son of the James Dean generation, yeah. like Dennis Hopper. And, yeah. But nowhere is, I won't say he's talented, but nowhere in the Dennis Hopper or right. Nick Adams or those other James Dean. Yeah. Um, generation people and um, and then you know and then I knew him as like sort of like this fake beatnik you know and I'm, I'm sort of the son of the beats yeah. you know from my, my book Tosh yeah. and uh, I, you know I know a beat when I know a beat and Ron McCune's definitely not a beat right. <laughs> he's a beatnik on the other hand he is a beatnik yeah. and a beatnik is more like the social media of what people think the beats are right like Maynard from uh, W. Gillis, that's uh-huh. a beatnik, yeah, or, a lot of the, or a lot of those teenage exploitation movies yeah. in the time when they have like a beatnik character. Yeah. So I thought of Ron McEwen in those lines, you know. Yeah. And at the time, um, people like Lawrence Ferenghetti and, um, and some other poets, and even Alan Ginsberg were making poetry records or spoken mm-hmm. word records. And I don't know how popular they were at the time, but it was a known medium of um, poets reciting their poetry like yeah. good poets reciting their poetry, right. either with jazz music or just just voice alone. Yeah. So Ron McCune did a series of like beatnik poetry yeah. stuff, and uh, interesting enough, Ron McCune actually lived in San Francisco in the in the in the, in the hardcore beat era. Right. So I was a child. Were living you there in San at the same time? Yes, as him? Uh-huh. Okay. I believe so. Um, did Did your parents ever go see him or? No. <laughs> well, I mean, because it sounded, I think they said that he did some readings with Allen Ginsberg. Yeah, and, he might, he's probably like, open, not an open mic thing right. exactly, but I'm sure it was very informal, you yeah, know, at the time. Yeah. Uh, when you look back, it's like this huge, you know, 
cultural thing. Yeah. At the time, it was this probably some coffee shop that had like right. a mic and you know, everyone right. wants to read something. Right. So what's interesting about Rod McEwen is that he sort of adopted himself in these different sort of subculture groups, you know, and he, and he went on. And then eventually in the 60s, you know, according to the book and what my knowledge of him, he just exploded on the scene. Mm-hmm. He, he became, you know, he, he, he became known as a songwriter. He's, and his, I, I do know his books. I remember seeing his books of poetry in like, you know, the worst bookstores. You know, right. He's <laughs> in the front. He, he was, I, I'm not sure now even, I mean, maybe still is, but he was the number one American best-selling poet. Yeah. I mean, he sold like millions. I suspect he still is. I wouldn't be surprised since poetry just in general doesn't sell that well. No. You know, I mean, and it, so he was just this huge... Phenomenon. He, re- he got into the whole sort of poetry, poetry inspirational... Yeah. Um, reader, you know, reader, readership. And, you know, he, he sort of strikes me, inter- you know, he, he, I, I really don't like his poetry at all. <laughs> and yeah. I don't like his music. Yeah, I don't either. But culturally, he's a fascinating, fascinating person to me. Yeah. You know, I think even like somebody like Paul Thomas Anderson could do a movie on Rod McEwen. I right? think a, a biopic <laughs> on him would be super interesting. Yeah. And, and what's, why he's interesting, and I, this book is really interesting to me. Yeah. I like the book a lot. But it's hard for me to convey why is he interesting? I mean, why is he interesting to you? Is there a particular... Yeah, I think, well, you know, for me, I knew very little bit about him before I read this book. I mean, basically, all I knew was what you had talked about Mm. on that uh, Tosh Talks you did last year on him. Yeah. And, um, I mean, for me, he was just always a punchline, you know? It's like the joke of what a beatnik is. Mm -hmm. And I sort of vaguely remember seeing him, you know, on TV, but now I don't have any strong memories because I wasn't into poetry when Mm -hmm. I was really little. And, um, but reading the book, I found him to be super fascinating. And I think a lot of it is there's so many contradictions. You know, he writes this very treacly poetry that's so sappy and Mm -hmm. it's just so superficial seeming you know and but then you know if you think about it a lot of it is about stuff that was kind of like pushing limits at the time sexuality Mm -hmm. homosexuality you know things that people weren't discussing out in the open so i think there's all these contradictions to him well he's really fascinating it seems to me he has a talent to express his his life through his work in a very gentlemanly way Mm -hmm. so even the sex stuff, which is not really, it's not pornographic or, you know. No, no. But it, it's still, it was for the time, yeah, it was pushing but, boundaries. But but it's, but he's not, a, but he doesn't push boundaries. He can talk about stuff that you would think be pushing boundaries, but the way he presents it, it doesn't it's come very out tame. That, he's very yeah. tame. Yeah. And that's sort of like his genius in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and again, you know, he's, what we know of him is that he, um, he's gay. Mm. Well, that. no. Interestingly, he, he never would say whether he was gay or straight or bi. I mean, that was another thing that I thought was super interesting about him. He was very uh, forward-thinking in the, the idea of non-binary gender well, fluidity. You in know? the 50s, it was interesting. He, he, he was, a, he was a, a member of the Manchette. Manchette, Manchette, Man, yeah. Manchette, Manchette yeah. That one of the earliest gay rights yeah. groups. Yeah, and the most sort of like, you know, sort of like the act up. Right. He did a lot of work for gay rights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But especially the Manchette Society. Was sort of the well, mo- then it was especially That was pretty militant. Yeah. I mean, that was and like it was of, a lot scarier for people to be out and in very much more period. And very tab- taboo yeah. in, 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 in mainstream American culture. Yeah. 
So that was interesting, you know. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, and he's also very much of a Los Angeles guy, even though he, you know, he did stuff in San Francisco yeah. and New York. But he's definitely a character from Los. I mean, he is Los Angeles. Too, yeah, he's way. he's definitely like a Hollywood guy. You he's know? a Hollywood he's guy, a but show guy. He's a show guy, but yeah. also his. I was also attracted to him due to his looks. Yeah, because I'm very visual orientated. Yeah, and I liked his. Um, Kind of like um, chinos, jeans. Yeah, he's got great style. Tennis shoes, yeah. sweater with like little, you know, yeah. button-up shirt. Yeah, and you know, he has great hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Didn't the book say he started selling his clo- a clothing line based yeah. on what he wore? Yeah, he did, <laughs> and luggage as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think he just needs a duffel bag. I don't yeah, think he needs luggage. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. So the, the, the whole Ron McCune look, the sort of the, the sweater or sweatshirt, and yeah. jeans. Almost prototype beat, yeah. right? And then, you know, and also it seems like, we, I didn't know this, but personally, but reading the book, it seems mm-hmm. like um, Rob McEwen sort of made up certain aspects of his past, and you're not really yeah. sure. Yeah. If he, really, he was a name dropper of sorts. I'm not saying in a, in a negative way, but if he does drop somebody's name, he usually has a tell that goes with it. Yeah. And, and people are not really sure if that really happened or not. Yeah. He definitely self-mythologizes. And you know what, what I found really... Okay, this, this was my profound moment this uh-huh. morning. He claims... And, he, and I saw a documentary on uh-huh. him on YouTube. Uh-huh. It was pretty interesting. Where he talks about meeting and knowing Kurt Cobain. Ah, uh-huh. Because either Kurt Cobain, either like me, had a sort of felt like he was sort of a joke of sorts yeah. but had sort of a, but then found him kind of endearing yeah and i'm not sure if they actually met they might have met hmm. but there was Ro- something in the book about yeah that, right? but, it, but it hints that robin McEwen was going to write songs with kurt cobain <laughs> and i thought which of course you think is like totally that's either yeah. fantasy or weird but yeah. visually kurt cobain and Rob McEwen strikes me that Rob McEwen could be his father not literally his oh, father oh wow but yeah. the fact that, you know, Kurt Cobain writes hurtful, painful songs. Yeah. Filtered through the Kurt Cobain method. Yeah. And really, is it that really that different from Rob McEwen's oh, personal? Wow. You know? And. And. The clothing. <laughs> wow. The clothing. Rob McEwen is like the straighter version of, not straight, not like in the, in the sexual sense, but the. Yeah. The more mainstream yeah. version of Kurt Cobain's outfits. Kurt Cobain wore like sweaters, right? Yeah, T-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Love so the, this. the jeans and uh-huh. the tennis shoes always. The yeah, ca- yeah, so yeah. so Ron McEwen's dress style is not really that far different from from Kurt Cobain, in my opinion. Yeah, interesting. I like that, Tosh. I don't know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Barry was here so we could discuss this yeah, aspect. I know, really. We need to but start I, having but a I guest. Feel, but I feel like this... Okay, so the other thing about Ron McEwen that is very prominent and important is that he was one of the first people, our first professional person, musician, songwriter, who paid attention to Jacques Borel. Yeah. And for those who don't know who Jacques Borel is, he is a singer, songwriter from uh, Brussels, sings in French, mm-hmm. and he's probably considered like the greatest French songwriter, chanson, thank you, producer Kim, chanson, and, you know, which means he knows how his songs are like these sort of stories, these narrations, mm-hmm. and he does it in a very dramatic way. I mean, he doesn't do theatrical movements, but it's, you know, it's like... 
him sweating under right. a spotlight with our orchestra and this, you know, it's really intense. Very emotional. Very emotional, very intense. And Jacques Brel's songs all all very street level. It's all very um, 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 sort of the, the the underbelly of, of human life and, yeah. and very gritty and you know it's about prostitutes and male hustlers and right. and street life and street crime and petty life you know mm-hmm. and poverty and all that sort of stuff and and Ron McCune like really got attracted to uh, Jacques Brel's music yeah and he actually went to France to meet Brel and they became really good friends apparently. And uh, and they agreed to work together, and they did. And 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 Ron McEwen either rewrote the lyrics or translated the lyrics from French to English. But he can speak French. Yeah, I think that. he worked with somebody. Uh, there was a woman yeah. that... Uh, so what I think yeah. he did, he sort of marketed Burrell for American audience, or yeah. he tried to. Yeah. On the same time, there's another guy, Mort Schumann. Mm-hmm who uh, wrote songs with Doc, Doc Palmas, mm-hmm. who wrote, like, Save the Last Dance for Me and, you know, On Broadway, I believe. And, you know, all the great mm-hmm. sort of um, Brill Building, yeah. New York stuff. Yeah. And Mark Shulman's an interesting guy because he, you know, that's his roots, his writing songs with Doc Palmas and, and Brill Building era. But then he gave it all up and went to France mm-hmm. and became a, a French singer. He mm-hmm. speaks, he, he knew French and he mm-hmm. became a French star as well as a French writer. But mm-hmm. he was also the main guy the other main guy who worked with Jacques Burrell, mm-hmm. or at least translated his lyrics into mm-hmm. English, mm-hmm. which uh, came to the attention of um, Scott Walker, mm-hmm. who did the Jacques Burrell this record. This is important. It is. And, and, <laughs> and then David Bowie. Yeah. I'm not sure. All of our favorites. I'm not sure how much Rod McEwen is in the Scott Walker or Bowie, you know, yeah. Burrell world. Yeah. That's not really clear to me. Yeah. But... I do. Have, I, he should get credit for. Uh, well, I think he's the one that probably brought. I mean, they may not have known about Jacques Brel if it wasn't for Rod McCune. Yeah, he he might have, he might have been the first one to open the door he to the Brel it, world. Yeah, he brought it to the English speaking world. So, yeah, I think that's super interesting. And Jacques Brel's an interesting guy because he's sort of like you know, he's like the Velvet Underground. I mean, he's like the foundation for a lot of. Um, uh-huh. You know, if it's not, if it's not Jacques Brel, I don't think it'd be like Nick Cave. Uh-huh. I never heard Nick Cave acknowledging him, but that's what I hear when I was in Nick yeah, Cave. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, Bowie was a huge fan. Yeah. You know, and and um, and, uh, and so so Braille's that the, is sort of the 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 foundation for that theatrical narrative decadent decadent songwriting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If Lou Reed's like New York, then Jacques Braille is Paris or right. Brussels. You know, right. Mm-hmm. Usually, like, you know, Amsterdam. The Port of Amsterdam is one of his songs. Uh huh. And this is another, this is, okay, this is my second story. Okay. Uh, not in the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when I was working at Book Soup, I worked, for, I worked at Book Soup for many, many years. And um, I was behind the counter, and who walks in but Rod McKeown? <laughs> and I recognized him right away because he's dressed exactly like what Rod McKeown. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like Kurt Cobain's father. <laughs> can't mistake him. <laughs> you can't. He had a beard, and he's an older man, obviously. That yeah. is definitely, you know, Rod McKeown. Yeah. And then, like ten minutes later, Debra Boy walks in, <laughs> and immediately I thought, "This oh is my- the magic of book soup." <laughs> yes, I'm thinking, "Oh my God, Debra Boy and Ron McEwen here. Yeah, they know each other. Hmm. Do they recognize each other?" <laughs> I watched them both, and they were like both in the same room, but no, no acknowledgement, nothing. And I thought, and I said, "Oh my God, Jacques Burrell. <laughs> they have Jacques Burrell in common." Uh huh. 
because boy is a huge Braille fan. And yeah. Braille, you know, yeah. Surely they should talk. Yes. They should meet. Of course. So I thought, okay, maybe I can introduce Be them. Be a matchmaker? Yeah, you know, like a bookstore <laughs> type of, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. But I didn't know David Bowie and I didn't know Rod McKillen. Right. So I, I didn't know how to approach them. Yeah. But I really, really wanted to introduce them. And I didn't. Ah. Uh. And they left the bookstore and never acknowledged each other. And it was a mystery. Did they ever walk past one another? They kind of did, but you know, not, but definitely not a recognition thing or anything. It didn't seem like they recognized no, one another. No, no. I wonder if Rod McEwen knew who David Bowie was. I think he He does. probably did. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I think reading, reading the, um, Barry's book, I got, he, he was pretty he much... He stayed on top of what well, was going that, on. Well, not only that, but yeah. he had an immensely huge... Yeah, I know it was. I saw, I've seen the photos of it. It was incredible. He had like a hundred thousand albums yeah, or more, and then like insane. and then even thousands more of CDs. I mean, when you think about, I mean, he most of them he probably only ever listened to once, if even at all. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of it, crazy. I and the book mentioned there's a lot of CDs that are unopened. Yeah, he, he was this sort of habitual music buyer, right? And um, an eclectic uh, martini glasses. Yeah, that was an odd one. Yeah. <laughs> But but the whole um, so the Ramakun was very interesting culturally to me with this, everything we just brought up. Yeah. And of course he's this huge showbiz, you know, connections and you know he one of the few songwriters who did an entire album for Frank Sinatra. Right. Was it called Man Alone? A Man Alone. I yeah. never heard it. I heard a lot of the Sinatra stuff. I listened to it the other day, and uh, for me, even Frank couldn't save Rod McEwen. <laughs> it was it was not. Definitely not one of my favorite Frank albums. Okay, and I have two. And I love Frank. And I have two Rob McEwen albums in a single. Yeah. I have um, um, Beatsville, we yes. talked about a little bit today. Yes, with the great uh, cover. The great beatnik cover. Chick and, has the best haircut. <laughs> best haircut. <laughs> and then uh, Rob McEwen sings uh, Jacques Brel, uh-huh. which I like. You don't love, but you like. I like. Yeah. And um, there's another interesting aspect. You know, he he was he was a million selling record seller as well as well as author. Mm-hmm. Towards the end of his life or later part of his career, he started actually leaving major presses and record labels, and he started his own record label. Mm-hmm. Um, and he started issuing his own records out, mm-hmm. like mail order. It was yeah. like before the internet. Yeah. So the only way you can get a Rod McEwen album, unless it was a used record, you had to go through. You had to mail in an order. Yeah, yeah from him, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's on the other end, him and another right, guy. Right, um, So he's like the first sort of do-it-yourself type of person, yeah, in a way, yeah. from a major, you know, status. Yeah. So he... And he did get on the internet pretty early, like, uh, I think in the late 90s he got on. Well, okay, there's another comparison. His website's kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you took a look I at did. it. I did. You know, I read about Nick Cave is very much active on the internet where he answers people's questions. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, and Ron McCoon had in his website in the year 2009 or something, uh-huh. he had a website where he actually chit chats with uh, fellow Ron McCune fans. Yeah. And he'd yeah. give him like detailed long answers yeah, to their questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a regular very, basis. Yeah, he was very involved. And after shows, you know, his concerts, he would be in the lobby after the show and sign books and, yeah. you know, be huge. And the whole audience would be there to see him. Yeah. I mean, you I know. think he, he comes across as being very genuine. I mean, uh-huh. I don't think it was fake. No, it's not, it's not a sham. Yeah. No. You know, and his, and his poetry and his music, I think, are very authentic and it's very yeah. true to him. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, you have to admire, you know, he he always just said what he was thinking. And I, 
I loved all the um, gay rights work he did, and I was I was cracking up. I don't know if you listened to uh, the uh, song that he did against Anita Bryant, "Don't Drink yes. the Orange Juice." <laughs> I saw it on uh, YouTube, uh-huh. and the lyrics are. Uh, don't drink the orange juice that can lead to all kinds of bigotries. And then he says, I go to Florida a lot, as many straights as there are gays, having fun in all kinds of ways. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember he also said, uh, it's said in the book that he said, I find what people do in bed very boring, unless I'm one of them. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, I mean, that was great. I was just, I love that he was so... Um, forthright about that kind of stuff and he did like a hardcore disco like a euro disco yeah yeah that's that the don't drink the orange juice was on yeah Yeah, it was (laughs) like a had the cover is like a can of crisco yeah crisco and it says disco on it and it's got a hand going in it a hairy arm yeah 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 i mean obviously we know what it's all about you know but uh and then he also did a noise record i never heard that i didn't read about it's called music to break a lease by Oh, that's hysterical. And it's basically him on the synthesizer going crazy. I never heard this music. Wow. I, I presume it's on YouTube or something like that, yeah. but I never heard it. But, okay, this is also another important Rob McEwen cultural thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I have this record. He, he made a record called um, The Beat Generation. Mm-hmm. And The Beat Generation is actually many years later, becomes The Blank Generation by Richard Hell. the right. same song, right. except without the Rob McEwen uh, uh, lyrics. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that's, you know, so he infected punk. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, despite all of his, uh, all the disdain that people have for him, he's been a huge influence, a, a very important cultural So Rob McEwen influence. in a nutshell, Rob McEwen in a nutshell is right and we were wrong. <laughs> me and you not liking the music is because we're wrong uh, you think I'm coming I don't know what other conclusion to come to <laughs> I think in Barry's book it's not really I mean I'm not sure if Barry reading the book do you feel he's a fan of Rob McEwen yeah oh I, I got the sense that yeah he seemed like he was because there are parts where it seemed like he was defending him to a certain degree um, there was one part that I thought was hysterical where um Rod is defending his work because a lot of prominent people were cr- criticizing uh-huh. him all the time. So he says, how dare I make a living writing poetry? They want you to be a pale kid who comes out from under a rock every few years and who delivers a sheaf of paper full of maxims. And so this totally reminded me, do you remember when David Lee Roth came out and he said, the reason the critics all like Elvis Costello better than me is because they look like Elvis Costello. Which is true. So, you know, yeah. it's it's um, <laughs> it's that highbrow, lowbrow mm-hmm. thing again, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, obviously Rod McCune, he was this very good-looking guy. He was hugely popular. It's just you immediately, uh, you know, if you're a highbrow person, that already sort of gets your hackles up, even if it's, yeah. you know, it's just like that's the way, you know, we all tend to react. But... Um, uh, and also, I mentioned in the book that he likes to communicate. I mean, that he writes to communicate. Yeah. So he has a skill. He has something to tell people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is actually almost you know, borderline new agey. But, but to me, that is pretentious. And new, you know, it's not, he's not pretentious. Right. I don't feel like there's any pretension, but he's definitely the first guy to market himself as uh, not a guru or uh, maybe a tastemaker of sorts, but somebody who. Um, or influencer, yeah, who, an influencer, <laughs> yeah, to use today's terminology to, to, for a lifestyle that yeah. that's either imagined and it, it is imagined because apparently he was a, a hugely depressive, depressed person. 
Yeah. Like a huge problem. But yeah, he was definitely very self-aware and very media savvy. I mean, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't like a mistake that he became successful. He was, you know, I mean, it took him a while. You know, he had to figure things out. Took him a long time to figure out. Yeah. Like David Bowie. But, you know, as he sort of, and he kept exploring new things, you know, it's like every time he'd see, you know, it's like first he started in the movies, then he Mm -hmm. started doing the poetry albums, and then he started doing the pop albums, you know, and then he got on the internet, like he was constantly trying to figure out new ways. He's very much like David Bowie. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Bowie struggled for certain identity and trying to find new ways of expressing himself, no difference between them. Yeah. And the author... Uh, Barry Alfonso also compares him to Madonna. It's a similar yeah. kind of thing. Which is the same yeah. thing as Boy a yeah. comparison, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. And Madonna um, sampled some Rod McEwen in one of her songs. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yes, yeah, so I tell you, Rod just got out. He was everywhere. He's everywhere. Yeah. I, I now realize that he's the most important man in my life. You think? It wasn't a half an hour ago. The beginning of the show, nothing, but now... Our lives would be completely different. If no Rod. Rod McEwen. <laughs> well, so anyway, in the nutshell, A Voice of the Warm, The Life of Rod McEwen by Barry Alfonso, uh, published by um, Backbeat Books. We Excellent. both like this book. I loved it. Yeah, uh, that's a I great book. I highly recommend it, regardless of how you feel about Rod McEwen's work. And obviously, we're not huge fans of Rod McEwen, yeah. but this book is, a, is important... Uh, that important book to have in your library. Yeah. And I think you sh- should at least spend a little time, if not more if you choose, on focusing on Rod McEwen. Because it's not only his music, but the culture he represents that's interesting. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. So what's our, what's our next show going to be? All right. Well, uh, what's our next up? show is very exciting. We're going to be doing Year of the Monkey, the new book by Patti Smith, which... I've already heard is quite good, though I haven't read it yet myself, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Year of the Monkey. The year, year of two- the monkey. 2016. Yes. Uh, should be exciting. Yes. Um, and definitely come and follow us on Facebook and join our book music book club um, so you can discuss the books with us or ask us any questions. And we have playlists up on both Spotify and Apple Music for we, all of our episodes. We, we got the ultimate Rod McEwen song. Yes, the Rod <laughs> McEwen playlist is really good. That's a good place to start if you are not familiar with uh-huh. his work. Um, yeah, and links to everything you can get on our website at bookmusic.com, B-O-O-K-M-U-S-I-K.com. So thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>